The Incomparable, number 186, March 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and it's time for the third edition of our Old Movie Club, where we watch old movies under the direction of the curator of the Old Movie Club, Mr. Philip Michaels. Hi, Phil. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. But is it a pleasure for you? Well, we got. To, I got to see two movies I've never seen before. These are movies from the early 70s. Uh, let's introduce the other two gentlemen who also watched these movies. David Lore is out there. Hi, David. Hello there. You watched both movies? I've watched both many times. Oh, many times. Okay, so you're you're a, you're an expert-ish on this. Steve Lutz is also out there. Steve, are these uh are these new movies to you? I yeah, I was a noob to both of these All right. films. Although I lived through the 70s, so I feel like I kind of lived both of these films already. <laughs> yeah, I was alive during the making of both of these movies barely, but I was. Um, and I'm with you, Steve. I, I'd never seen them before. So, uh, the two movies are Get Carter and The Taking of Pelham 123, and they have something in common. Um, but for all of that, I thought I would hand it back to Phil to explain a little bit about, about these movies and, and why he selected them for us. Do explain why you made us watch these films. Yes. Phil. Tell us why. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I, I wanted to get a little contemporary. We've been we've been back in the 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 fifties a little bit on on the previous episode, so I wanted to... so forty years ago a little more contemporary. Yeah, a little bit more contemporary within within living memory for some of us. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And um, uh, there are two movies I think are they might be mainstays of your 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 cable rotation back in the day, but I think they've kind of um been overlooked by um by modern day movie fans and i i think that's a shame because i enjoy both um with the realization that get carter is something of an acquired taste for people not to not to uh uh jump to the front of the line here but uh um they they do have a lot of things in common um uh, both are very much of a time and of a place uh uh taking a pelham 123 is set in the new york of the 1970s as it is crumbling into dust yeah and um, and the movie just sort of embraces like slim pickings at the end of Doctor Strangelove. It is it jumps on the missile and is waving its cowboy hat and going yeehaw into the ground. Whereas Kit Carter seems to have been set in the north of England, well after it has already crumbled into dust. Yeah, it yeah yes, yes it is. It, it takes place in Newcastle and and I I, I think both cities are actually um, characters in the movie in in a way in in their hmm. respective movies. And um, both have very strong uh, performances from uh, two actors who you don't really think of as leading men, or at least audiences today don't think of as leading men. Get Carter stars Michael Caine, um, and Walter Matthau is the star of Taking a Pelham 123. And I, I, I think the, the, for the young people out there, uh, Michael Caine is the, is the butler in every... Um, <laughs> Every movie Batman that movie. Uh, Christopher Nolan makes, <laughs> he just shows up and and sort of adds an air of class to things, and then mm-hmm. he makes and and you might see him in other many terrible movies because he's a working British actor and um, yeah, Jaws uh, the Revenge. If you yes, like, so. ja- yes, the he's movie not afraid that, of uh, getting a paycheck. 
Michael he is Caine. a two-time Oscar winner, and yet he has made some terrible movies. And yet, if you go back to earlier, early in his career, which uh, uh, Get Carter is when he was establishing himself as a star, it, it it's he really was a very good actor, and I think that gets overlooked. And so two years after he was in the Italian Job, right? right. I think right, one, mm-hmm. right, and not that years, long, yeah. not that long after Alfie, which right, I think right. was. The movie that he really put him is on the kind of the preeminent English butler go-to in the post-John Gielgud era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised uh, he wasn't in the Arthur remake. Yeah. Oh, jeez, he might have a he might have like a no compete clause with Christopher Nolan. I only butle for me in movies. <laughs> I, I only for me. So I so are we started getting into Get Carter? Shall we discuss that one first? Well, let's before we get to Get Carter, we should talk about the other thing these two movies have in common, which I, I'm sure we'll come back to at the end, which is that they were both remade, remade very recently. Uh, Get Carter was remade about ten years ago, and uh, Taking a Pelham One Two Three was remade in uh, 2009. And um, when I proposed the, the the this episode to you, Jason, I think I phrased it as, "Why does Hollywood ruin the things I love?" <laughs> Because they, it, it, if you wipe the original movies uh, from from all memory, and you only had um, the 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 remakes available as evidence that these films ever existed, you would think, my God, these are two terrible motion pictures uh, that that mm-hmm. that star people doing terrible things and that make me unhappy. And um, I think that's a disservice to the originals. And this is this is this is a case where you should you should. Uh, uh, Skip the remake and go go straight to the source material. I see. So this is an attempt to rehabilitate some of your favorite movies that have been destroyed in the internet. Exactly. If you think of Get Carter as that terrible movie that Sylvester Stallone made, uh, <laughs> go back to the original. You're have to you have to narrow it down a little bit. There. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you think of Taking of Pelham 123 as just another movie in the series of John Travolta's uh, unfortunate hair decisions, no, no, go back to 1974 and, and watch Walter <laughs> Matthau uh, I, I, see, do I was a much say better job with the movie. The latest in the series of movies involving Denzel Washington and Trouble on Trains. Yes, well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Get Carter, we should Get start Carter. with. Get Carter, let's start with that. Um, Get Carter is basically, it's, it's a revenge picture. Uh, there, there, there used to be a very popular genre of, of movie where it's someone, someone unsavory, his unsavory friends have done, done him wrong. And so he spends the rest of the movie exacting his, his horrible revenge, a contemporary movie of Get Carter that, that did the same thing was uh, point blank with, uh, Lee Marvin, uh, which I actually don't enjoy as much as I, I've grown to enjoy Get Carter. And Get Carter is set in, um, as we said, it's it's in Newcastle, though though the title character Jack Carter, the title character Get Carter is um, is a <laughs> London-based gangster. It's a rare and, name, but in England it's common. Yes, his, friend, his friends don't call him Get. It's kind of yes. They just well, they just say Carter. Yeah. And he um, finds out at the beginning of the movie that his brother has been murdered. Um, or well, no, dead. he had a drunk driving accident and is Dun- dead. Drunk driving accident, but yeah, it 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 was not <laughs> was not a clean kill. It was not yeah. a. Yeah. The police they're, they're, say it's all on the up and up. Yeah. yeah. Well, when was that ever good enough for us? So uh, uh, Carter goes back up to Newcastle in in a credit sequence I very much enjoy. I, if 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 you don't like the movie, at least the soundtrack by um, uh, Ray Budd is is quite enjoyable. Yeah, I actually knew of this movie only from cover versions of the theme song. Ah, right. Several, a couple of my favorite bands actually have played versions of this, and they're they're good in their own way. Hmm. 
you should share those covers because I would like to very much hear them. There's the um, and he's on the train. It's like I'm riding the train, and there are credits and music. It's like wait a minute. It starts off with porn first of all. Well, yeah, yeah. We should yes. So my first note in this entire project, Phil, is in the 70s, porn was unpleasant and not fun and made out of slides. Yeah, it yeah the. Because it opens with a scene where we're, it's swinging London, man. It's 1971, and and what what do the swinging mobsters in 1971 London do for kicks? They get together, wear suits, and watch slides of black and white porn. Yeah, they wear suits and look really unhappy and while <laughs> while a carousel of slides of porn are just you know flashing on the screen, and it's like <laughs> yeah, it's unpleasant, just unpleasant. Have fun, As opposed guys. to most porn, which is completely delightful and pleasant. <laughs> and fun for the entire family. And in color. My first note is, whoa, you can actually see Ding Dong in these shots. That seems unnecessary. <laughs> and, and also, I'm, I'm shocked that this got an R rating, because you can, in fact, see very clear uh, some things that I've not seen in an R-rated film before. I, I believe, and I'd, I'd have to double check this, but I believe it did not get an R rating originally, and that that R rating is now like retroactive. Yeah, cause, I see. Because c- they they went back and said, "Oh, well, now this is this is family fair." Gee, it's just ding dong. The kids, <laughs> all love audiences it. admitted. It's only slides. Yeah, it's, it's not slides. not motion pictures. It's just slides. Right. That ding dong is clearly stationary, so it falls within the the R rating recommendations. Yeah, so the so the mob that uh, that Jack Carter or Michael Caine is involved in, clearly they 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 make a good chunk of their business uh, uh trading human flesh in 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 the porn industry or what passes for the porn industry in in 1970s <laughs> England. Slides. Right. Which is slides. Yes. Stiff upper lip chaps. Let's uh <laughs> I got some good uh, slides here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> quite. And then he gets on the train, and there are credits right. and music. And then there's right. is there zither in this theme song? First of all, I have to ask. It sure there sounds is, like it. There is no zither. It sounds zither very zither like some sort of hammered dulcimer or something. But it's it's zither esque. That's for sure. I think it's an auto harp. <laughs> so Carter gets back to Newcastle, and it takes him no time at all to 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 figure out that that this was in fact probably a, a murder he just has to figure out who who did it and why and um the rest of the movie is him uh piecing it together talking to uh, uh various members of the newcastle mob who we are we are uh reminded com- throughout the movie that they are they are hard nuts they are not people you want to cross not like those suave london gangsters in their black and white porn slides <laughs> and so so one of the things i like about this movie is is the, it's structured like a detective movie because right. he is solving the mystery of who killed his brother and why. But what it do, what it doesn't have is all of the, you know, like, I'm a detective. I'm seeking to find the truth for some reason that's altruistic, like to bring them to justice. It's much more, I am also a criminal and I will find them and I will destroy whoever killed my brother. So it's it's I like that twist on the fact that he's still trying to solve a mystery. It's just kind of amorally. Right. Because he uh, grew up in Newcastle, he knows many of the gangsters there. There's a there's a, a, a slimy uh, a head gangster named yeah. Cyril, who um, it just 
I actually really uh, enjoy the performance. He's only in like two scenes. And um, uh, John Osborne. Yeah. Of course it is. John Osborne. The great John Osborne. And I believe he's a playwright, actually. And uh, this was only one of a couple of couple of movies that he made. But he 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 just plays um, Cyril as this as this guy who can't even be bothered to care. There's this scene where uh, Michael Caine goes in to confront him, and yeah. Michael Caine knows that he's involved, and uh, uh, John Osborne knows that Michael Caine knows he's involved, and John Osborne does not sweat a whit because he he. He is uh, he is in the the, the catbird seat, as it were. I am amused by the scene where he goes to the to Cyril's house, yeah, and like knocks some guys out. There's like shows a gun, and then he ends up wandering into the room where there's a card game, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, Carter, okay." And he sits down and watches them play cards for a while. Um, there's a very weird lady who whispers things, and it's a very strange scene because it's very complex there are lots of different cutaways right it's a very according reading uh i think it was, i was reading like imdb or wikipedia afterward and they said that it's like a showpiece scene it was very complicated to shoot and it is it's very complex and it's made even more complex by the fact that the woman who's who's talking to him is whispering <laughs> right it's so weird that's a great scene. There's a there's a real weird tension to it. Yeah, because she's she's creepy as hell. There's just Fre- there's friends uh, fans of Robert Altman and friends of Robert Altman too <laughs> will uh, will recognize that technique where all the audio is layered on top of yeah. each other and the listener has to to pick it up. And it, it, it it's taken me repeated viewings because, like you say, the lady does whisper, but basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, what she's telling him is that, oh yeah, I, I knew your, your bosses were up here and I knew your brother. And, and it's basically, there's enough details in there that, um, she completely implicates Cyril in, in the murder basically. Mm. And it's 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 great because there's, there's so much dissonance there between the, there's this quiet intensity going on with the poker game. Right. Mm -hmm. And then just this unbelievable ditzy booziness that she's exuding. Right. And, And up until that point, frankly, there hasn't been a whole lot of tension. I mean, there's been a lot of standing around in suits. Periodically, there's maybe somebody getting hit in the head with a log to break it up. Yeah. But <laughs> this is this is really the first time that there's just there's just a real intense tension that yeah. builds up there because you almost feel like you're 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 in you're in Carter's spot and you're trying to pay attention to to what Cyril's up to. And meanwhile, this girl is kind of coming in here and and trying to. Uh, you know, pull your focus away, and you just feel like telling her to shut the hell up. Yeah. And, I'm trying to listen to the movie, like, Come Come on. lady. <laughs> I know you know Sid. You've already told me four times. Cut it out. Yeah, before this, it's just slide porn and uh, mm-hmm. and train rides. So and, and uh, shaving over the decaying corpse of your dead brother. Yes. Ah, oh, yes. Good so times. while while uh, Carter is conducting his his investigation, uh, the London mob decides they've had enough of him um, mm-hmm. running around up there causing trouble. So they they send a couple of flunkies to bring him back, and so uh, uh, he's he's trying to elude the flunkies who who are the flunkiest. Uh, the, there's a delightful scene where they um, uh, Carter basically seduces his landlady. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Well, she was interested, so... Well, sure. It didn't take him much effort. What would Jesus think? Yeah. Because Michael Caine in, in, in 1971 was not a, not a bad-looking dude. Not the, the, not the, the weird, creepy butler that time would leave him <laughs> in this day and age. But uh, yeah, they, they show up, and he's, 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 naked. he's naked and holding a rifle. And it, one of the funniest lines in the movie, and I'm, I'm going to get it wrong, but the, 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 one of the flunkies says... 
come on, Jack, we know that's not loaded. And the 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 the, the other flunky says, he means the gun. And <laughs> well, he, Carter falls off the bed and then is able to just sort of like reach around and get his gun. And yes. Yes. Note his to rifle. self, if you're going to stash your rifle under the bed, move the chamber pot out of the way in yeah. advance. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a, a fun fact about that rifle, um, he carries it around throughout the movie, but never actually fires it. Well, it's his brother's. I mean, that's, yeah. th- that's one of the great poetic things is that he's he's stored his brother's, uh, ri- he's picked up his brother's rifle at his brother's house, specifically so he can use it at the appropriate moment. Right. And he also totes around that bottle of whiskey the whole time so he can make use of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, it looks like his uh, his briefcase actually has a perfectly sized slot for that bottle of whiskey. So I don't know if he had that <laughs> custom made, but I well, want yes. yes, I know that. The, the gun is a really nice touch from the book. And it's gotten lost in every version of the movie that it's a double-barreled shotgun, and it's supposed to represent his relationship with his brother because it's two barrels and because they always went hunting as children. And this this, this whole mythology about the gun. In the movies, he just carries the gun. Mm. Yeah. We should mention the book is uh, Jack Goes Home, I think, or Jack Comes Home. Oh, you guys and your movies made of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Books are just movies with words, man. We uh, we skipped the fact that that um, uh, before he has sex with the landlady, yeah. he has a phone call with his boss back in London, his girlfriend, yes, who is also Michael Caine's girlfriend, and they they there is a lengthy 1971 phone sex scene, which really is enlivened by those big heavy receivers and the curling uh, phone cord. Um, and what happens is that's funny is that the hotel lady is listening to this and she's in a rocking chair and she proceeds to rock her chair very strongly as she she listens to to the conversation between Michael Caine and, and who is it? It, It's Britt Eklund. Britt Eklund. Yeah. That, that scene made me feel funny in all the wrong ways. (laughs) (laughs) Quite disturbing. I, I guess this is the, the the thing that I liked about the movie um, that made me go back to it because I, I I didn't care for it the first time I saw it. I said eh, it's kind of it's a very bleak movie. It is uh, uh, in a way almost unrelentingly bleak. But there's this uh, strain of really uh, a lot of really funny bits that runs through it. A lot of a lot of gallows humor. To to skip ahead, um, still got uh, your sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> To skip ahead a, a, a bit, um, one of the people that um, uh, Carter kills uh, towards the end of the movie is in a meeting with these these people, and they they, they go off, and Carter throws him off a parking garage, yeah. and uh, the the guys are waiting. Well, it's very rude for him to leave us like this, and then they notice all the police cars and ambulances pulling up, and and then one says, and apparently this was an ad libbed line. I don't think we're getting our fee on this job. Yeah. <laughs> It just just a lot of really um, uh, amid this this bleak, unrelenting uh, cycle of violence. Just uh, some really uh, funny. You have to laugh, don't you? You, you gotta, do. You gotta laugh. I do. Is that Brumby that he flo- yeah, throws Brumby. off the off Cliff, the off the Cliff side of the Brumby building? Who um, a really it, terrible dummy goes flying off of a well, of yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Almost that's Monty the limitations Python-like. of movie making in 1971. All right, time for a sponsor break. It is tax time. 
And if you're not using FreshBooks, your life is probably a total disaster right now. So tell me if this sounds right. You're hunting for receipts. You're digging through invoices. There's paper everywhere. You're going through every record one by one. It's the worst. FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that makes tax time a breeze. With FreshBooks, you can create professional-looking invoices, capture and track your expenses, and get real-time business reports with a couple of clicks. Plus, you can work from anywhere with FreshBooks mobile apps for your phone and your tablet. Now, we've received invoices from people using FreshBooks all the time for the incomparable. I just got one the other day. They look purely professional. We're able to pay them online instantly. There's no hassle of mailing checks or anything like that. Super simple. The sooner you start using FreshBooks, the sooner you can start focusing on your work, the job you love, and not paperwork. It's the worst. Focus on your work, not the paperwork. And here's a great deal. For a limited time, you can try FreshBooks free for 60 days. To get started, visit getfreshbooks.com now and enter the incomparable in the how did you hear about us section. That helps us, helps them know that we sent them to you. Right now, FreshBooks is giving our listeners an extended 60-day free trial to make tax time a breeze. So go to getfreshbooks.com and enter the incomparable in the how did you hear about us section when signing up. Thank you to FreshBooks for supporting 5x5 and the incomparable. There's a, we didn't mention, um, so Carter Carter meets um, another uh, interesting lady. Yeah. Or it's the, is it the, it's is the, it the drunk lady. lady? It's the drunk lady again. Same lady. And uh, we only had we only had enough money to cast one one floozy yeah. in this movie. And so there's a scene that I would say is the um, it's it's when you're thinking, should I buy the manual transmission or the automatic? <laughs> this is the scene that says, go with the manual transmission. There is a hilarious scene that cuts between the shifting yes. of the car and a sex scene. Yeah, there's a scene of Glenda driving Carter interspersed with scenes of Carter driving Glenda. So it's a <laughs> nice yep. little synergy there. Yep, yeah. cross cut, back and forth as the uh, gear shift keeps going up and up and up, and the engine keeps revving. I laughed and laughed. I, I, I assume it was meant to be humorous juxtaposition. It was. It was. Uh, because that's what it was. <laughs> it was hu- very humorous juxtaposition. Although distressingly, earlier when he's having sex with the uh, the landlady, <laughs> it cuts to a bunch of children walking through the street having a kazoo parade. Which... <laughs> a children's marching band. I, I think which is, has got to be the most distressing. Uh, <laughs> something real kinky is going on there, and I don't, I don't much know. I don't want to know what it is. But... I, I believe the implication is that it's rhythmic and atonal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a not a fine sports car. Yeah, seemed like a good idea, but in practice, <laughs> meh. It's a so um, we should mention that that scene with Glenda and the sports car and the the haha leads to really the pivotal moment of the uh, of the motion picture and, and and really even though we're we're living in a crasser age uh, than we were in 1971 kind kind of a shocking moment the first time I saw it and it is it, still a little bit unsettling um, Carter you know turns on the, since porn is everywhere they they turn on this. Uh, this uh, eight millimeter movie, and well, she's in just... the she goes in the bathtub after they right. have sex, and he he goes, hey, there's a movie projector here. I'll flip it on and see what's there. And it the it's a it's a porno that the Newcastle mob has been shot, and it stars his niece, his brother's daughter. Uh oh, yeah, or quite possibly his own daughter. Yeah. yeah, or quite possibly his own daughter. In fact, almost it, certainly based on his reaction. 
Yeah. And uh, th- this is the scene where really my- Michael Caine flashes the, the acting chops because he goes from uh, uh, uncomprehending horror to unspeakable sadness to murderous rage in about 15 seconds. And it's it, it's a really well-acted scene. And, it's very um, well-directed, too, I would say, because yeah. as, as his realization is dawning on him, the sound of the projector going kind of ratchets up and up. And then they made a point of having him being in front of a mirror so you can catch his reaction as well as kind of a blurred version of what's going on in the film at the same time. It's really well done. Really, uh, uh, yeah, it's a powerful scene, I think. And... Um... Uh, this sort of sets in motion the the third act of the movie, which is basically Carter killing everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So see, he, at this he, point, uh, Jack has gone full Rorschach. Yeah. <laughs> before, yeah, before he, he was just breaking fingers, and now he's and he uh, he tries to drown. Before thinking better of it, he tries to drown Glenda. Stuffs her in the trunk of the car. So you, you failed to mention that <laughs> it just that, delays the drowning. That the porn the porn that is being generated by the northern mobsters is a motion picture. Yeah, making it more advanced than the pornography being viewed by the London gangsters. Well, Newcastle was always <laughs> ahead of London in the porn game. In the film production, uh, yeah. So, uh, but this is the almost strangling her in, or and or drowning her in the bathtub is not the worst thing that he does to Glenda because then he decides to have her ride in the trunk of of his car or her car, I guess, <laughs> that he steals, and he parks it near a body of water. And thugs come to get him and decide that they will show him what's what by pushing his car in the river. And as he watches it go down, he's like, "Yeah, all right." I don't know though. It's he looks very impassive there, but I swear I get a glimmer of some emotion under the surface. I'm not. I'm not clear what it is exactly. It might be anger. It might be, uh, you know, he's angry. He's not going to get his deposit back on the car. I don't know what the deal is, but. <laughs> It looks like there's still a glimmer of humanity in there as she blub blubs below the surface. Didn't get to kill her himself. I don't know. <laughs> Those were the London flunkies teaming up with Cyril's flunky, who was played by an actor named Ian Hendry, who apparently thought he was in line for the um, the, the the title role of Jack Carter, even though Michael Caine produced the movie. So you, you ain't getting that part. Huh. But I almost forgot what your eyes looked like. <laughs> Two piss holes in the snow. Still have your sense of humor. Oh my! <laughs> so then, let's say okay. So Glenda's in the river. Glenda's dead. One of the few people that uh, that Carter doesn't personally dispatch. Right. Then he goes uh, and throws Brumby over the side of the parking. He throws Br- Brumby over the side of the the garage, and the reason he does that is Bum- Brumby was the one who uh, brought the movie to the attention of Jack's brother, hoping that that would somehow uh, uh, cause some sort of caused the the problems that the Newcastle mob were giving him to go away. I, I I've never really understood the thinking there. Um, and instead it, it ends up getting uh, uh, Jack's brother killed. And so uh, Jack quite naturally decides that Cliff needs to go take a leap for that. Uh, he goes and stabs the um, the fellow who appears in the porn movie. Um, right his old uh, his old, old friend old buddy his yeah old, old yeah. schoolmate. Uh, in another really powerfully acted scene, I think by Michael Caine, where again just barely contained fury as he's as he's uh, stabbing him. Where he finds but, him at, at an off-track betting establishment yep. and takes him sort of out back to have a conversation. Yes. Well, he takes him to the toilet, and he well, yeah, and he which is out back. <laughs> There's there's actually a pretty humorous bit, or at least I found it funny, where he's repeatedly asking him, "Do you want to go to the toilet? 
Do you want to go to the toilet? And then they pan to a sign on the door that says, straight through to toilet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, they, and, and, and he, he, he confesses. He confesses to his involvement in the in the scheme, but and then he says, "Ah, but Jack, I, I didn't kill him." And 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 Carter screams, "I know you didn't do it!" And stabs plunging him in the knife with every syllable, and it's um a little brutal. It's it's a very brutal scene, but again, it's 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 well acted, it's well constructed, it's well shot. I I would argue. All right. It's not it's not just mindless violence for mindless violence's no. sake. Like a certain remake would be many uh, many decades later. You understand why um at this point Carter is feeling the what he is, right? He yeah. is out to destroy everybody who um who killed his brother or was involved in any way. This is also the one scene where the blood doesn't look like Thousand Island dressing, so I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Again, 1971 film technology, not not what it was would be later on. All right, and that leads us to our sort of the final uh our denouement, yeah. which is um at this point Carter has uh uh grabbed the uh no good two-timing uh I guess girlfriend of his brother or were they married? It's it's well, uncertain. First- First, he heads to the post office and drops right. off a copy of the 8mm film with, in a package simply addressed to the Vice Squad. Right? In New, New Scotland Yard in yes. London. Yeah, yeah. The temptation when you're a postal worker and you get a package that says the Vice Squad <laughs> to open it has got to just be utterly incredible. This feels like this <laughs> film in here. and I, it, well, this, this isn't a carousel of slides. Oh, I've got what slides. could it be? I would think that you only do that once and then you realize that you're looking at things you can't unsee. Yeah. <laughs> And then that package stays sealed mm-hmm. forever. Um, yeah, so he sends it off to the vice squad. He grabs the uh, the the no good two timing lady. He serves her up a hot dose of uh, of drugs and throws her in a pond on Cyril's property. <laughs> um, and basically, when the vice squad shows up, they find her body. And uh oh, Cyril's Cyril's going away. Yeah, let, let's also let's let's mention that he he finds the local drug dealer, gets something injectable, yeah. takes the lady out to out to into the into the forest, has her strip off all of her clothes except her underpants and then gives her a lethal injection. Now, I sort of got the impression that he was actually on Cyril's property because where they find the body looks an awful right. lot like... C- Cyril has a big country estate outside of the, the crumbling shell that is Newcastle. Yeah, so he takes her and then tosses her in the creek. You have no clue that he's actually just on Cyril's property yeah. at that point. Right, and that, 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 that this sense. is his game as he's trying to frame him for her murder. Because he can't... Because he can't uh, connect him to his brother's murder in a way that's going to get any sort of justice, so why not? Uh, why not get him pinched for everything else? Right. Which leads us to the final confrontation mm. between him and Ian Hendry, uh, which happens uh, basically on the the desolate shoreline of Newcastle mm-hmm. at a uh, some sort of. Uh, well, I mean, what what would you call that? Is it a Quarry coal? or some kind of quarry. It's like a some coal co- quarry of some sort, yeah. I don't know if it's coal they're dumping into the ocean, but then again, given the state of the rest of the <laughs> of the country, it could certainly be. They 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 basically uh uh chase each other for quite a long way until Ian Hendry becomes winded and then Carter <laughs> takes that bottle of booze he's been carrying around with him. Uh we should mention that the way that the brother has been dispatched is that they they poured a, a bottle of scotch down his throat and then stuck him behind the wheel of a car and that's how he 
he he got him the accent that he did. It's the old Cary Grant from North by Northwest ploy, only without uh, comical consequences. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he says, "Well, you're gonna you're gonna die like my brother did," and he pours the the the, the liquor down the throat and then beats him to death with the uh, with the rifle. Yeah, I was gonna we- say he takes the shotgun and does what you expect him to do with it, which is hit him with it repeatedly. <laughs> hit him repeatedly, <laughs> caving in the skull. He throws him into the uh, goodbye, Eric. Yeah, throws him into the 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 uh, the, the the dredging material that's dumping dumping uh, lots of soil out into the ocean. Seems environmentally unsound, <laughs> but you know who am I to tell yeah. the Brits how to take care of their coastline? Yeah, the dead body's far worse than the the coal they're dumping in there. <laughs> yeah. So he gets dumped in there, and for one of the few times in the movie, uh, Michael Caine has a smile, has a little laugh, has a little moment of relief, and uh oh. There's a sniper that the London mob hired to, to <laughs> knock him out. Or actually, Cyril. Cyril kind of hired him, he, I guess. He's about to toss the, um, the rifle into the, into the water and end this chapter of his revenge when right. he is shot through the head by a sniper. Mm-hmm. Thus ending it a few seconds early. Yeah. Fade out. I, I really like the, the quick cut there from him getting ready to throw the rifle to just the ring with the J on it, which you see very briefly as the sniper's getting getting ready to shoot. But in the end, death gets Carter. Yeah. Ha! Ah, there hey. you go. Oh, they gave away the ending in the title. They did. Yeah, well, I, I, kind I of hate mean, it. Given the lack of a get Carter to got Carter, that this probably <laughs> wasn't going to end well for him. <laughs> well, it's funny that you should mention that, Steve. Oh, God. Because in the remake starring Sylvester Stallone, Carter lives at the end of the movie. <laughs> sure he does. To set up the inevitable sequels, uh, I said, get Carter. And <laughs> no, really, I wasn't fooling around. Get me Carter. And we, <laughs> got, Carter we got Carter. Harder. We got Carter. Yeah. Now what? Get Carter again. Get Carter another time. Get Carter harder is the, is the obvious. <laughs> it's like he, he's... The whole thing in the remake is the mob in Las Vegas. So the last thing he opens up this map and ah, it's a map of Las Vegas. Ha ha. And there's, and that's how it ends. It's like, Uh, really? Another terrible thing. Well, there's many terrible things about the, um, uh, get Carter remake. Um, although before, before we get into that, uh, should we discuss how we, how we, uh, whether we like this movie or not, or do you want me to talk about get Carter the Sylvester well, Stallone. Yeah, version. let's let's discuss whether we like this movie or not. Okay. Not. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I I I Phil Phil admitted before we started that he and and I think he mentioned it earlier that the uh he didn't really like it on his first viewing and I can I can go with that. I I um I can see how a movie like this would definitely be inspirational for somebody like Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah. But mm-hmm. I find that it contains all of the things I understand, I can see the influences in Tarantino's work, but a lot of what I saw is the stuff I don't like about Tarantino's work. It is so um, unpleasant. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, while I really appreciate the work of Michael Caine in this movie, um, and there are a few scenes that, like, is he really going to throw that guy off? Oh, he did. Okay. Um, It was, it's unrelentingly bleak. The people in it are kind of awful. Um, and, and honestly, I found the, um, I found all the strange bouts of sex that happen interspersed throughout the movie, um, kind of, 
I, w- I don't want to say pointless, but kind of shameless and like they're doing it to shock and they're doing it because they can get away with it and that it wasn't really necessary. Yeah, the one that pushed me over the edge in that regard was the uh, where the singer and the lady in the bar are fighting and you get a few seconds of just utterly gratuitous granny panty shot. Yeah, you get a buffalo the shot legs. there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I thought the phone sex shot or scene was bizarre. And, oh, that creep, yeah, that creeped me out. And good. unnecessary for anything in the movie. Although there's that wonderful line where where um where the gangster barges in at the end. What are you got? Tell me trouble or whatever the heck he says. <laughs> got gutty worms or yeah. Or whatever it is. <laughs> but I should have known from the very first scene with the unpleasant uh nobody having fun while watching slides of porno that it was going to yeah. be a, that one of those uh kind of movies. But I yeah, it, do, it doesn't yeah. throw you a curveball. This no. movie says from the get go. <laughs> This is not going to be a fun ride for you. No, I guess what I would say is, in hindsight, it's a, you know, we're going to make this movie as hard as we can. It's going to be tough. It's going to be brutal. The criminals are going to be brutal. Um, They're not going to be like rosy, friendly criminals that you root for. They're criminals. They're awful people. And it's it's an awful guy who's mad at other awful people for killing his brother, who was an awful person. And so he decides to kill them all. And in the end, he kills them all and then gets shot through the head. The end. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the last the last uh, note that I had was, boy, what was the point of all that? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I followed it up with, I guess that is the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, did you enjoy the movie? You know what? On my first viewing, uh, I I wasn't sure. On my second viewing, it kind of grew on me a bit. Um, yeah, that that was me. I I well, I had to watch it a second time first of all because it's it's fairly complicated. And it the is. accents kind of put it over the top for me. Those Geordie accents, man, I cannot. So, those are in in in. I cannot decipher. I eventually had to turn on the subtitles, and that kind of ruins everything because you find yourself reading it before it's said, and then you don't catch a bunch of the subtleties in the performances. So, right. I went back and watched it again just so I could, you know, figure out from the beginning, you know, kind of understand everything that was going on properly. And when I did that, I I appreciated it more. Um, you know, I didn't love it, but I th- there's. I think maybe the thing that disturbs Jason is the same thing that I kind of appreciate about it. <laughs> there's there's a certain kind of skin crawl inducing sleaze that only seventies movies have ever managed to pull off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. as, as a horror fan, I'm acutely aware of this because a lot of the best, you know, most disturbing horror movies are are disturbing specifically because they have that kind of just I want to shower afterwards feel to them. And and that sensation is just dripping off every single frame of this film. Um, so I kind of appreciated it for that. Uh, I liked the tiny little in-jokes, like the fact that he's reading Farewell, My Lovely on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, a little bit later, after he and Glenda have had sex, you can see the Rolling Stones' Let It Bleed sitting on the counter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also, I generally think it's kind of interesting when a film gives us a, a protagonist that's just an, an unrepentant bastard and then tries to make him sympathetic. Like In this case, Jack, uh, you know, he worries for the welfare of his young niece, uh, he says, excuse me, as he makes his way through a crowd. He apologizes for getting blood on the curb out front of his bed and breakfast. I mean, for a murderous sociopath, Jack seems like a pretty good bloke. He asks for his <laughs> pint of bitters in a thin glass. In a thin glass, right. That's a sign of class right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, con-wise, it, it takes its sweet time getting interesting. Oh, man, is it is it an <laughs> oddly paced movie? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... It, it was a lot of guys standing around in suits, and then a guy gets hit in the head with a log, and then there's more guys standing around in suits. <laughs> this film is rated L for log. 
So, <laughs> also, penises are shown at some point. So, <laughs> so, so dual luggage, basically. Calculate that as you will. Yes. Uh, and then again, ratio. in the end, you know, at, at the end of it, I was left feeling a little bit like that was kind of pointless. Which, yeah, in its own way, is is the point of the yeah. film, and and I appreciate it for that. But it it probably will grow on me more in the future, and and specifically because that pacing, I was ready for it the second time around. I. I enjoyed it a lot more for that. So. Yeah, you, you, you've you actually perfectly encapsulated the journey I've taken with Get Carter, <laughs> uh, the 1971 version. The first time I saw it, I thought, oh, this is, no, this is not a, the pacing is off and the accents are in, impenetrable and, and the ending is, is unsatisfying and... But there, there was enough At least there. on the DVD that I was watching, the picture was unbelievably grainy, especially in the dark parts. <laughs> but, well, but yeah. It, in the end, it seemed to fit the mood, so I was okay with it. <laughs> yeah, it, and where this movie really succeeds, besides the performance of Michael Caine, is it just really captures a time. There are very few movies that just commit to uh, uh, what they're trying to get across, and the, and whatever you want to say about this movie, good or bad, and and I think Jason's criticisms are completely valid, actually. Um, uh, it it just it throws itself into trying to do what it's trying to do. And this is and, a movie that yeah. wants you to feel gross. Yes. Yeah. And depending yeah. on the, the level to which you enjoy feeling gross, I think your your enjoyment of the film will track pretty clearly with that. Well, you know, this is I mean, both of these movies influenced Quentin Tarantino to a certain extent. As oh well yes, as we'll, we'll get into that with Pelham. Yeah. I don't know, with a title like Get Carter, you almost expect it to be like a. Like a chase movie, oh, light-hearted or, uh, Italian it's job gonna be kind all of thing. Carter, <laughs> and you know it's everybody's chasing him and trying to catch him across yeah, the we continent. Get Carter, give me that Carter. No, that's <laughs> no, not this it's movie. Not light-hearted at all. No. Just to put a bow on this, you you might be wondering why do these idiots keep watching the, the same movie over and over again if they didn't like it? <laughs> and I I can't speak for David, but it's one it it, it got its hooks in you. It's one yeah. of those movies that sticks with you even if you don't necessarily like it. I think there there could be a chance that Jason a few years from now sees Get Carter on and says, "Hmm, that movie that I didn't much enjoy, yeah, I'll, accidentally, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a, it. I'll give it another look, and then he'll be an idiot like us watching the this movie, and going, oh, I see now. It all makes sense to me. What did it for me was, you know, because there are a lot of movies like this from the period, and most of them are forgotten, and some of them you remember the name, but you might not have seen, and some of them you've seen, and you go, yeah, that wasn't very good. And this one has Michael Caine. And it is, for me, it's purely Michael Caine. That's the reason I kept coming back to it, because... He's he's really good. He's Although so I would good. say this is pretty uniformly well acted. I mean, Oh, it is. Bit, bit it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just no, no, all the other actors in the movie are, 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 are Brits that, uh, on the side of the Atlantic, we never, we'll, we'll never see again. Right. <laughs> With the exception of Britt Eckland, who I've seen. Well, yeah, well and she's not yeah. a Brit, but she's a Brit. She's so. a Brit. <laughs> Oh, thing. Wow. We we should move on. To... Hey, speaking of things that aren't very good, let's talk about Kit Carter from uh, Sylvester Stallone. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll 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 do it very briefly, please. You don't like to judge a film against the film that it's 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 being remade against because they're not really they're not making that movie for me. But really, if you're gonna do a terrible movie, why not just call it by a different name? Yeah. Why not? Uh, anyhow, it. It it understands nothing about the movie. It just says, "Hey, there's a guy killing a lot of people. That seems like a fun movie to make." 
Um, the the role of Cyril, they turn into Mickey Rourke, and they make him, <laughs> um, instead of this above-it-all master criminal, he's this this very sleazy pornographer and and by the end of the movie it's it's sylvester stallone and mickey work fighting each other and it's like two sides of aging beef <laughs> punching each other for <laughs> 20 minutes and which i normally enjoy watching yeah but. no it, it's it, I, I watched that and said i should really get to a morton steakhouse because I, yeah. I could go for it some, tenderizes the meat i could go for some dry that. aged prime rib right about now drunken ribeye um, and I, I mentioned earlier how how shocking I find the scene where Carter discovers his niece has been horribly, uh, her innocence horribly violated on film. And um, I think it's Rachel Lee Cook is the niece in the remake. And um, in this one, Carter discovers a DVD that, uh, that, <laughs> that has been made and he pops it in. And it, it's, it's her doing a, a, a sex thing. And I, I watched that and I thought, well, it's good that she's learned to trade. <laughs> it's just it's a terrible a movie man. and michael keen appears in it yeah, i know michael as I, yeah as yeah and apparently they they expanded his role because audiences reacted well to it well why shouldn't they he's the only good thing in the movie but, i don't remember the elderly british butler in get carter yeah it's very strange it, I'm, I'm michael kane where's my paycheck yeah exactly I'd like to pause for just a minute for a quick reminder from us at The Incomparable. If you enjoyed listening to us play Dungeons & Dragons in those D&D episodes we did last year, you should know about Total Party Kill, which is our spinoff podcast where we play D&D, the same group. Uh, check it out at theincomparable.com TPK. If you've been listening all along, you can start with episode 12 which is the first one that isn't in the main Incomparable feed. And if you haven't listened to us play Dungeons & Dragons and you want to listen from the very start, just listen with episode one. All of the old episodes are there and we're still playing on a regular basis. Episodes posted roughly once a week while we've got a D&D game going. Check it out. We play D&D on the internet for your amusement with a bunch of people from The Incomparable. That's Total Party Kill at theincomparable.com. We should move on to the taking of Pelham 123. We should. I would like to kick off the discussion of uh, the taking of Pelham 123 by saying the following. It is impossible to hear that theme song without hearing the taking of Pelham 123, a Quinn Martin production. No, it is absolutely a Quinn Martin production. The streets of San Francisco. <laughs> the trailer is great because it's got the music, and then all of a sudden the book cover comes flying out at you and goes, Millions have read it. Now watch the movie. Mm. <laughs> but I, I will say that is a ringtone on my phone. I love oh, the music in this yeah, movie. That's a great tune. It's the, the I whole, guess this the is another thing the two just. movies have in common. I, I really like the soundtracks on both. Tay and Pelham 123 set in New York. Um, it's, a, it's a heist movie where they they hijack they hijack a subway train and i said to my wife as we were watching this um i hope somebody's got to make a crack at some point about well i hope they don't take it to havana uh -huh. sure enough it, it happens about 30 minutes later than i thought <laughs> yep. the joke would come but it does come eventually oh yeah it's there yeah and, and walter Matthau and jerry stiller yes jerry stiller as his as his uh as his uh second banana yeah. Basically, this movie is the 70s character actor all-star game. It, it really oh, is. Oh, man, it really it's, is. It's, it's the love boat before the love you, boat. You could not make a movie that starred 
Matthew Stiller, Hector Elizondo, yes, uh, Martin Balsam. You couldn't do that today. They'd be like, no, they all have to be like twenty five, yes, or or Travolta. And in fact, uh, David, in, in like 25, 30 years, they, they would make a movie where everyone's 25 in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but we should talk about the original first. Yes. Yeah. So the, yes. The, uh, the, the subway is, is uh, hijacked by a bunch of men. Uh, the, the, one of the lessons we learned, men with fake mustaches wearing hats are scary and threatening. They may be carrying instrument cases or long boxes and they get on a subway <laughs> And um and they all have code names that are colors. At yeah. which point I, I said, Oh, that's where Quentin Tarantino got that for Reservoir Dogs. I get it now. And and one guy, Mr. Gray, is um lascivious, makes a lascivious gesture yes. to a lady on the train. To a lady wearing a golden bear cub over her shoulders. And later makes a racist comment. And I thought, he's a bit of a hothead, that Mr. Yeah. Gray. And then uh, at a later point, I went, oh, my God, Hector Elizondo. Yeah. Because, Dr. Waters, you nasty. Because Hector Elizondo, is, you know, he's wearing a fake mustache and a, and a hat. So This is, uh, this is one of his first roles. Successful, I, I, I successful disguise. I had no you, idea. You know early on that he's the crazy <laughs> one because everybody else has a hat with some loft to it, and he's wearing the beret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bad sign. He song. clearly can't follow instructions or refuses to. We should mention that the uh, that the head of the uh, the hijackers is Robert Shaw. Yeah, and he's great. Oh, he's fantastic. He is very good. He's got that cultured English accent, which is just a nice touch. That I assume I, I don't. I having not read the book, is is the uh, is is that character English, or did they say, well, we can get Robert Shaw. He's going to be English now. I don't. I, I don't know. But um, but either way, he's great, and he is just so contained throughout the movie. He is just he. Oh, he's yeah. coiled, and that yeah. and that adds an air of menace to the character. No, he that... he is he's got it wired right. He's got his plan. He's going to execute the plan. He's going to keep everybody on task. You get the sense Martin Balsam, who's also really enjoyable to watch. He is the amateur. He's deathly afraid of the moment when they might actually have to shoot somebody. He just wants his money to get back at the transit authority because he got fired. Hector Elizondo is a hothead who got kicked out of the mob uh, kicked out of the mafia because he was too hot-headed for the mafia and mm-hmm. then there's mr brown who is a cipher and also merlin man <laughs> oh, it is, it's merlin. Do, do you know do who you know mr who brown is? is yes yes i do it's it's wilson it's wilson it from home improvement yes yes at one point he gets shot looking out the back of the train and i think that was the turning point where he decided he should probably stand behind a solid fence yeah. from that point on <laughs> yeah well yeah it's, it's just like a flesh he, wound. He, right he wears through. a disguise throughout the movie and um and I thought that was where it clicked for him. I'm just going to hide my face from now on. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous poor, out in the out in the open here. It's, poor uh, Wilson. A little bit, little bit of solid pine, a two, couple of two-by-fours, and, and you're good. Yeah, so four guys hijack a train. Walter Matthau is the transit cop who um, who uh, has to deal with them. Jerry Stiller is his second banana. Um, well, be- before we get too far into that, uh, one of the things I love about this movie, I mean, right from the first scene, is... How many details that are just there that come into play later? Like the first, oh, yeah. the first person you see is Martin Balsam, and he's rubbing his nose. He's got a cold. Yeah, you know. And then you've got the train men explaining why they're doing the different things they're doing, because the one guy is training the younger guy. And you've got Matt. That felt just a hair contrived. That, that, it's that a little was bit. like, let it's me explain bit. how this works. We're going to need this, uh, right. this uh, mechanism we later. Didn't, we didn't have the con- the concept of droids yet, but <laughs> had we, there would have been an exposition <laughs> droid inserted at that point. And, See, I, you, you say it's a bit contrived. I actually think it's it, it's really uh, 
uh, clever screenwriting because yeah. it's a way of letting the audience in early on how things work. And they they do it throughout the movie where where there's some outsider that says, hey, wait a minute, why don't you just do this? And sure. Walter Matthau yeah, I mean, says... It was really only after the fifth or sixth instance of it that I started thinking, eh, this is a, <laughs> a little bit of hand-holding that is a little yeah, too I, obvious. Yeah, I, I think they need to do it, though, because otherwise it becomes a deuce ex machina situation where... Where where you're all wait a minute why 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 the hell uh, doesn't the train just stop and they, they I think they, it was at the point where where Walter Matthau spent like three verbal paragraphs explaining the concept of a dead, dead man, man switch, switch yeah. Yeah, yeah well that was that, a bit much that it yeah. sort of lost me a bit you know it's all well, you have to say is dead man switch. Uh, it's got to be a guy there at all times. It, it, that one didn't on. bother me as much as the, hey, it's like, well, you know, three months later, you can apply to be a driver. But for now, let me walk you through everything. Do all the steps that you normally do. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, now I'm going to step off the train. Good luck to you. <laughs> Without getting ahead of ourselves, let me tell you, if that bugged you about the original, you are going to love the remake. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing I especially love is when we first meet Mathau. And he's forced to take these Japanese subway uh, businessmen on a tour, and they don't appear to react to him. So he starts insulting them as he's yeah. taking them around. Come on, you monkeys! Saying, you know, we deal yes. with murders and rapists and mishigas and this and that. And I actually wound it back the first time I watched it to go, did he really say mishigas? Okay, cool. And, you know, and then... When the crisis hits and he steps out of it and he goes, all right, take them to the 13th floor. And they say, oh, no, we can find our way. Thank you for such an exciting and interesting tour. And you realize that they could speak English the whole time. It's great not just because you've had this exposition about what all these things are, but now you have the tension of, oh, he played a hunch and he was wrong. So now he's our hero for the rest of the movie. What else is he going to screw up? At the same up? time, maybe maybe I'm just a tad too worldly, but there was from from moment one, it was obvious what was going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I but I liked that he was oblivious to it. I, I'm not sure if that's you being a tad too worldly. I, I think that's the world catching up with the taking of Pelham one two three. Because yeah, this, well, yeah, exactly. The, 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 this movie is it's, it's definitely not me being worldly. Let me say that. Yeah. <laughs> It's the fact that I've seen a lot more movies since then. In fact, sure. I, I was I expected something I didn't get from this movie, and I think in hindsight, what it was is the dressing up of this scenario because now every movie that's anything like this in terms of a contained thriller is going to have to dress it up in a way that this movie doesn't have to because it was early on in this process. Um, and in fact, what you see is it has to explain itself several times because people aren't going to hang with it. Where in the in the future, you're going to get movies that have to dress it up with other things. And specifically, I was really expecting we were going to get a scene explaining all of the wacky characters in the train, and they were all going to have to have their moments like they were the cast yes. of Star Trek or something. Yes. And really, no, nah, they're <laughs> they're just there on the train. We get yeah. we get glimpses of them enough to know that there's the drunk lady who's sleeping, and there's the lady who only speaks in Spanish and is very upset, yes, and a few yes. of the other characters. But we don't get to know them. What I what I, what I love about that, and this sort of emphasizes your point, is in the credits they're emphasized yes. as. Yes. They're, they're, they're credited as the maid, the, the mother, the, the delivery maid, the boy, the, prostitute, the homosexual, the secretary, the, the delivery boy, the salesman, the hooker, the old man, the older son, the Spanish woman, the alcoholic, the pimp, co-ed number one, the younger son, co-ed number two, the hippie, and the wasp. Yeah. 
Yeah. The Hippie and the Wasp was my favorite 1970s sitcom. But... Yeah. It's about a superhero. I, I would like to put together a, a little worksheet with a, the face of each of those characters along with the name. And Just draw I would, lines between I would between challenge them. you to draw lines between <laughs> no way. the the, uh, no deal. the the credit and the face because I don't take that there bet. really is just nothing there. And that, the... that really was one of the things that I, I found kind of disappointing, uh, <laughs> which is that it's hard to take this movie seriously when you kind of want all of the hostages to die. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it was their little nod to Stagecoach where it's it's these these stock characters and hmm. brought into to a certain situation. And... By God, I love the pimp in the movie. That's great. <laughs> the pimp is great. What's the matter, baby? Ain't you ever seen a sunrise? That the if if there's one thing that's definitely on display here, it's seventies attitudes towards women and minorities. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well. Oh, yes. Although I was not clear on who the homosexual was, which is a point in its favor. Yeah. I just I, I love the one line that the was uh, a Dick O'Neill has. Where he says, "What do they expect for their lousy thirty-five cents to keep to stay alive or something like that." The, well, so you bring Dick, that up. The, the, Dick, oh, I Dick wanna... O'Neill is my least favorite part of this movie. Yeah, yes, I agree. He's just a bit much. I, <laughs> I agree. Although the other, the Dolowitz is also a problematic character. So yeah. I wanted to mention. Fat Kaz? Fat Kaz. Well, one of the things <laughs> I, I, I like about the fact that it's about the heist is that we, we are focused on these guys and how they're what they're trying to pull off. And we don't spend time getting to know the, the fears of all of the people on the train. It's like, whatever, they're on the train. It's about It's about these guys trying to pull this off. And it's about Walter Matthau. Um, trying to figure out what they're doing, and I like that. And then, and then we mentioned this earlier that you talked to Phil about the how the the cities that these two movies are are set in are characters, and this this is we are marinating in in New York City in the seventies, sliding into the abyss. I feel <laughs> yes. like this is this is every true true or not. We are this is every um, uh, assumption about like what New Yorkers do. At, at taken to the worst extremes yeah. possible. This is Fort New York drop dead. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's uh, very drop deadiest. And my favorite, my favorite thing is the Dick O'Neill character who, when he gets the call from the guy who has just hijacked a train, he he says, "Well, you're crazy, you big jerk. What are you? I mean, it's like he has not obviously seen <laughs> the negotiator." Uh, because he doesn't know that you don't. What the, when a guy says I've got hostages and I've stolen your train, what you don't do is call him a numbskull and insult him a lot <laughs> and say, "Jesus Christ, why are you doing this? You, you just idiot, get out of that train!" It's like, but this is this is the reaction because he's a New Yorker and he he feels personally offended by by the the hijackers and frankly everybody else. They are yeah. all ruining. I'm gonna get so mad what when I get to that driver, he's gonna really regret talking to me and it's like wow what a blowhard well his job is to make the trains run on time and yes, they're they, getting in the way of that and they are they are he, uh, although unlike fat kaz he doesn't get he doesn't get shot to death so <laughs> this is true <laughs> unfortunately every, every single thing that fat kaz says sounds to me like out you pixies go through the door out the window <laughs> which i love about him <laughs> Oh, Fat Cass. Fat Cass has the has the classic line that my wife especially approved, which is uh, approved of, which is, boy, geez, we have ladies in here in a position for like two weeks, and now we're looking for looking in the toilets. We're already down the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> nice classic. What chances one lousy cop got, especially if it's a dame? Yeah, my notes my notes evolve. Oh yeah, well yeah, that's that's Mathow saying <laughs> saying uh, you know the undercover cop on the train, right? Doesn't doesn't have much of a chance, especially 
if it's a dame. The the bit at the end of the the movie, um, the the undercover cop is kind of this long haired dude, and he gets into a shootout and kills yeah. Wilson from Home Improvement, he does. but himself gets shot. And at this point, Walter Matthau is in the tunnel and and trading shots, and the the hijackers sort of get away, and and Walter Matthau is going to chase him, and he turns to this long haired person lying face down on the ground and says, "Don't worry, ma'am, help will be here soon." <laughs> <laughs> And I just think that's a wonderful throwaway, yeah. throwaway line. And there's yeah. just a lot of those throughout the movie. Does he say ma'am there somehow? I he says yeah, ma'am. He oh, it's, yeah. it's so very because clearly ma'am. Because that is, of course, the hippie that's on Yeah, that's the, the hippie. The, uh, yeah. 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 Oh, by the way, my favorite Dick O'Neill line, I did write it down. It's, keep dreaming, you maniac. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tell that to the hijacker. Good idea. Oh. Definitely a contender for my favorite line. And, and now my ringtone is Walter Matthau saying to the Japanese gentleman, let me show you around the knife center. <laughs> Which sounds great coming out of your pocket, I should point out. New York. New York, a bunch of very rude people are very upset that people are inconveniencing them by stealing a train. That, that, that's the thing with the Dick O'Neill character. He is just really offended that the afternoon commute is going to be disrupted. Well, it's important. People, hostages be damned. And then there's the mayor. The, the, uh, oh, the mayor. And, oh, the and mayor. his wife is played by uh, Doris Roberts of Everybody Loves Raymond fame. Yep. Well, she has the great line when when the mayor is deciding whether to pay the ransom, and she says, the, the, well, I know one thing you'll get, 18 sure votes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a very funny moment where um, he, he says, I, I don't want to go down there. I got a cold. I don't want to go down there. I'm going to get booed. You're way behind in the polls. You got to go down there. He says, all right, I'll go down there. And then time passes, enough time that you've forgotten that the mayor is going down there. And then and then the mayor starts to show up, and you're, you're so in enmeshed in the plot of like are they going to get the money there in time and they got to chase the guys and all of that and then there's that moment out on the street where the cops are standing there and suddenly everybody starts booing and you're like all right the mayor's there they're booing yeah him. and in fact the police so captain great. says holy <laughs> it's the mayor yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i i just love how yep so much of this movie is just sitting standing still and talking you know it's in yeah. a very dramatic looking microphone in the uh, command center, right? And and the weird thing is the remake does this too, except they don't know how to do it well because you get oh. tension. I mean, you are on the edge of your seat in the whole movie in the original. And you know, it's just amazing to me because it because it's almost real time for the most most part of the movie because they have what an, have like a little over an hour as the deadline from when the the hijacking starts to when they're going to start killing people. So it's almost a real-time movie. I should point out that their goal in uh, in stealing this subway train is is uh, to receive one million, $1 million dollars, which is about yeah. four million in today's yeah. money. We looked right. it up, but which 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 made me laugh initially because uh, because of course the Austin Powers parallel, yeah. uh, which you know even back then doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot of money for as as big of a caper, and especially when they're splitting it four ways. But that happens on the and train, then, right? They're like, well, that's, how much money you get exactly. for us? The, the real, my, my real favorite line in the film is when they ask how much they're being uh, ransomed for, and the guy says, $1 million, and the elderly Jewish man says, that's not so terrific. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine a number of the incomparable listeners uh, uh, aspire to creative endeavors, and one of the reasons I picked this movie is... I really think the the script of the original taking of Pelham one two three is just masterfully yes. constructed. Just in, it it never really lags. It never really wastes a moment. 
uh, it keeps the action moving, like yes. like David like David said. It's really just a bunch of guys talking into a microphone <laughs> for extended periods of time, but it builds it, attention. It works. And it, um, you know, yeah, it really does. And um, it, 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 if you are interested in creating tension filled scenes, I I think you could do a lot worse than spending an afternoon studying. Um, Taking a Pelham one two three and 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 how they're able to wring every last ounce of tension out of just Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw talking <laughs> into microphones at yeah. each other, negotiating the details of whether and I I've never seen another movie or TV show with this. It was when you give me the deadline about when we're going to pay you, what does it mean? And they the, Matthau comes back to him like three times. It's like okay, we, we we're going to pay you. And he's like, all right, well you've got forty minutes. He's like, no no no. I said we're going to pay you, so the deadline's off. And they're like, no, no, the deadline is for us to get the money. He's like, all right, well, we'll see what we can do. And then they can't get the money fast enough because, you know, bank tellers down at the bank are very slowly counting out all the money. Uh, and there's that's one of the more exciting tension-filled action scenes in the movie. Is no the, one will be seated during the counting of money <laughs> no, sequence. No, but then they put it in the car, and the guys are. And I'm thinking, oh geez, they're not going to get in an accident. They yeah. totally get in an accident, yeah. and, and and all that. And so then Matthew has to go back to Robert Shaw and make another negotiation, which is, what if we say that it's when the money gets to the station, not when it gets to you. And they negotiate about that. And he's like, all right, okay, I'll give you that. And then Matthew has that moment where he realizes, I'm just going to lie and tell him that it's at the station, even though the car just got in a car wreck. And I love that. And I, I don't believe I've ever seen that in something else where where um, these strange details are going on. And the fact that they're fascinating and tension-filled is a credit to the screenplay and is a credit to those actors because they are really just, you know, he's just stalling for time. He's just begging for time there. But it's really ratcheted up. Well, in your average modern caper film, the uh, the crooks are basically omniscient, right? I mean, they right. know what's going on in the outside world at any given time. This was uh, this is one of my father's favorite films, and when I was really young, he kept saying, "Oh, you should see this! You should see this!" And ah, oh, no, no, no. I, there were so many movies out there. And then um, I was in a, a writing seminar, and and the teacher said, "Here's this movie. Here's this script. That if you want to write tense scenes, you should watch it." And I went, "All right, I'll watch it." And, and I was riveted, and I went and got the script, and I went and, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to study this thing. And, you know, it, it again, it's amazing how they get all of that tension with all the sitting. The the other thing that I love about the movie, and, and I love comparing it to the, to the movie Quick Change by Bill, with Bill Murray, which he co-directed. And again, it's, it's another one where there are little details that just show up in every scene from the very first shot that come back to bite them later. Um, but it's, it's, it's sort of the inverse. It's like they've successfully uh, robbed the bank and then they can't get any form of transit to work. Um, and it, it would make a great double feature. And I was thinking about that, absolutely that same movie. Um, and in Pelham, the other thing that struck me is this is not a bad plan at all. Hmm. And the only reason that the, that the, the crooks don't get away with it is that it all falls apart once they get off the train. And I feel like if they had just left, right? I mean, the, the fact is, if they had gotten to the staircase and just popped up and gone out, they would have they would have made yeah. it out. Now, maybe they would have come to Mar Martin Balsam's apartment later, but they would have made it out. But instead, they bicker, and they shoot 
um, yep. Hector, Hector Elizondo. Hector Elizondo and that brings gives, it all down. And that gives the hippie who's on the train tracks enough time to wake up and shoot uh, Merlin. Yeah, the, our friend from behind the fence. And and that leads to and and that gives uh, uh, Martin Balsam enough time to leave and and leaves uh, Walter Matthau enough time to to confront um, our mastermind and 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 yet it, it worked. All they had to do was leave, and instead it it melts down, which I guess takes you back to uh, Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs. It's sort of the same yeah. idea, right? It's like the, sometimes it's not the plan that's flawed; it's the people who are executing the plan, and that happens here. And again, to, to, to close the circle on, um, uh, in contrast with Get Carter, where the, the ending is kind of unsatisfying, when, when Robert Shaw is brought to his end, it's, it's, it's a very satisfying <laughs> yes, ending. Yes. I, I did say to, um, to Lauren about 20 minutes in that uh, as Martin Balsam is coughing and sneezing, mm. I'm like, well, you see, at the end, they're gonna, he's going to get away, except then he's going to sneeze, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's going to be that moment of like, aha! You were the guy who was sneezing. And yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> With the most Walter Matthauiest look ever. Yeah. Well, and see, huh? again, I love that because it just stops on the look. Walter Matthau is Columbo. It just stops on the look. There's no follow-up. You nope. just, you know what's going Gotcha. Gonna gotcha. Yeah. And again, to, 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 to younger viewers who might, younger viewers on this, on this video <laughs> podcast, yeah. younger listeners. Well, viewers of movies. Yeah. Uh, yes. Who uh, might think of Walter Matthau? Oh, he's the cranky guy. Not the old the, man. He, he's the old man in movies. Th- this was in a period of time where Walter Matthau was a leading man uh, in motion pictures. There's a very good movie he made um, around this time called Charlie Varick, which mm-hmm. I, I I would recommend to, to to people to go out and find, uh, where he becomes involved in a bank heist and. Uh, uh, there's the Laughing Detective, which I I actually haven't seen, and shortly thereafter he did Bad News Bears, and th- th- this was at the time when people were saying Walter Matthau he carries a picture, and uh, he he is a really good actor. He is enjoyable in this throughout. Oh wait, it's this is true. It's the Laughing Policeman. Oh, Laughing Policeman. Yeah. Uh, thank 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 you for correcting me. I almost said Singing Detective, which is a totally different, <laughs> totally <laughs> different thing. Also very good. But yeah, very different. yeah, just if if the movie he has detective in the title, rent it. It'll it'll be okay. Yeah, sure. It's fine. Yeah. Uh oh, I wanted to mention um another way that this movie is very different from a movie that would be made today, this movie from nineteen seventy-four, um, which is about communication. Oh, and I actually found it delightful and also infuriating when they're trying <laughs> to get the money to the station that the, at one point, I believe there is a communication relay that is a phone call to a guy with a radio to a different guy with a radio to a different guy with a radio in mm-hmm. order to relay information because there's no good communication method so they want they want to reach the guy down in the tunnel yeah. and they got to go through the they got to go through the dispatch which has to go from the guy the cops on the street which has to come from the mayor and it's this whole ridiculous thing, and that that you know that feeds Matthau's discussion of when exactly the deadline is. But I thought that was hilarious. That today, you know, you couldn't have a plot like this because uh, our communication tools are so much better than they were then. And there's a bit a, a bit later where that's used to comedic effect, where every single person on the other end of the radio is told it's moving. Oh yeah, every single one of them says who. <laughs> Yeah, who do like you they think? They've been watching. They've been paying attention for the last yeah. forty-five. That's a very funny scene because it keeps happening and it just keeps building. It's very, very yeah. funny. 
Um, I did enjoy that they that the car, um, that the car that's carrying the money, uh, doesn't just get in a car wreck, but like goes rolls over. Yeah. Um, as a kid who grew up watching Chips, I enjoy a good rollover <laughs> accident, and then uh, motorcycle cops to the rescue actually, and they they put the bag of money on a motorcycle cop's uh, motorcycle, and he takes off. And that was actually a very exciting scene in a movie that doesn't have a lot of you know traditionally exciting scenes. I, I like that a lot. And then later they drive past the flipped cop car as a. Yes, they do. As they as they've done the their they've done their U turn because see again this is oh, oh, I feel like where we're spoiled now as audiences that of course there's going to be a twist in the heist right this is what happens yeah. there's always a twist in the heist and and so we're watching this and I th- I you know. 20 minutes before it happened i'm sitting there going well they're gonna they're gonna get off right and then they're gonna set it going and then walter Matthau says no 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 there's a dead man switch let me tell you about that for a while <laughs> um but that's exactly what it is and, and we get to watch walter Matthau work it out but that seems more boring now than it would have i think at the time because now every movie has to do that yeah well it's it's i always think about uh, this quote a couple of months ago damon lindelof said in an interview about how uh, you can't do anything less than save the world now. Every every right. movie that comes out has to save the world. You can't just do, you know, a subway car full of people. That's not enough for, you know, maybe on TV, maybe for an episode of something. Sure. And, right. you know, I kind of miss that. And, you know, I, I think he's wrong. I think you can do it if you do it well. Well, I think his point was that you're not allowed to do it if you're a producer yeah. of a Hollywood blockbuster. You can't. Exactly. Not save the world because they want that those stakes. And this movie is very enjoyable with the lives of those, uh, you know, tropes who are on the train <laughs> and uh, the stock characters on the train and Walter Matthau and and uh, and, you know, a single train car is perfectly fine. I, I, I was also reminded when they're uh, when the train is out of control and the one guy is saying there'll be a red light eventually, which is funny. Um, that this is like we've seen runaway trains in all sorts of movies and superhero movies, especially there have been a bunch of those in Batman and Spider-Man. And, um, and again, in this movie, it's just sort of like a dark subway car and uh, they're shaking the set and they're shaking the cameras and the people are like, ah, and there's no spectacular anything. It's yeah. just the tension of, you know, the, the imagination and a couple of stock shots of a subway train going by. Although I have to say, I feel like even in 1974, the whole trope of things going horribly wrong towards the end must have been still old hat. I mean, we we watched The Killing and uh, right. Lavender Hill Mob, which came far, far earlier, and, and it's basically the same thing there. I mean, the caper is always foiled by some silly complication that gets introduced towards the end. Like a cold. Well, that's introduced at the beginning, right? Yeah. I, th- I think we should say a few nice words about Martin uh, Balsam before yes, we sure. uh, before we uh, sign off. Cause, I agree because th- this is a guy who basically, if you made a good movie between like 1957 and 1975, he he wandered into it somehow. Because <laughs> he's in this one, he's in all the President's Men, he's in Twelve Angry Men, he's in Breakfast at Tiffany's. I, in Psycho, he's in yeah, Mitchell. He's, yeah, wow. Well. <laughs> well, Mitchell. Yeah. Mitchell. He's probably in some Mitchell. home movies where it's, hi, how are you? Martin Balsam here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, how, how do you keep appearing in good movies? And then he like moved to Italy and started making like these weird Italian movies. It's just, I, it's, a, it's a, the fascinating career of Martin Balsam. 
I've been catching up with episodes of The Naked City. And oh, he's in several of them because they, they would just recycle guest stars. I mean, Jack Klugman is in like six of them or something. Different characters every time. And and it's the same kind of thing. It's like the episode may be kind of, eh, but Martin Balsam walks in. Boom. It turns into a really good story. Yeah. Yeah. And you get the sense um, from this character from the get go. But I especially like the way they shoot his reactions whenever there's the threat that they're going to kill one of the passengers. Mm. And it's obviously upsetting to him that he, you can tell without a lot of dialogue um, or any dialogue in some cases and um, without it oversharing that he's not comfortable with that violence. And he pictured this being cleaner than it's going to be. And that he, you know, he's not that guy. He's not the hardened criminal that these other guys are. And, and um, you, you get that from him uh, throughout his performance you get that yeah and you yeah. feel satisfied when hector elizondo dies you feel satisfied when robert shaw dies and you feel really bad when martin balsam sneezes at the end yeah well i mean i you don't want i mean this is always the tension in these movies too do you want him to get away with it and it's like well i kind of right. want him to get away with it or at least enough away with it that i can see that this plan would have worked and that's sort of what you get with martin balsam is he gets all the way back to his his apartment and I'm sitting there thinking, don't go to your apartment. Just take the money and disappear, <laughs> right? But he goes back to his apartment and... His sad little apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where there's some money in the oven. I do like that uh, they leave it a little bit up in the air as to whether he actually did what he was fired from the transit authority for. Hmm. Yeah. Am- uh, among the criminals, he could have just uh, confessed that he was guilty of it, but he didn't. He said, no, I, it was a setup. I, I didn't do it. He doesn't need to be honorable about that, right? In front of these, I, it, he just—I uh, don't know. It, it seems like he could certainly have said something about it at that point, but why would he? I like this one. Good. I like this one a lot. It was Good. really a lot of fun. This would be one of my desert island discs. This would be, you know, if I had to pick ten movies to take to the island, this would be in the top five. Alas, I—I th- I thought it was kind of lame. Oh. <laughs> I think I got, it, I got a huge kick out of it as a period piece, you know, the, the decaying New York and all of that. But as a thriller, for me, it's it was almost impossible to take seriously. Like I, I didn't really get any of the tension you guys felt. In fact, mm. I, I thought there's there's so much comedy, which was all very good, by the way. I laughed a lot during mm. this movie, mm. but it sapped all the tension out of the thing for me. And of course, the fact that uh, all of the uh, the the hostages are basically interchangeable throwaways, you know, didn't help. But, I mean, even the caper was not all that complicated or interesting. I mean, the whole dead man switch wrinkle was visible a mile away. And, oh, my God, what would, what, why have crooks never before thought of changing hats? It's ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> and turn your coats inside out, by the way. That, that... Nobody has to save the day at the end. The train just stops. Although, I would say that the, probably the second best thing after the that's not so terrific line in the film is the, uh, the drunk lady who's been passed out, yeah. loaded the whole time. The whole time. time. As the train comes to a stop, she's still asleep, and she just slides along the seat yeah. to the very end. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> the moral of the story being, be loaded at all times. What I'm hearing from Steve is it needs more 1970s porn uh, slideshows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything could use For him to porn. get interested. Um, uh, I, I, I enjoy the movie. I, I, uh, I, I think it's just, like I said, an excellent uh, uh, screenplay, and... Um, if you're a fan of Walter Matthau like I am, this is a uh, a movie that really showcases his talents. I think I would have liked it more had I seen it around 1978 or so. When I it's was of it, it's of its time, yeah. 
I'll, uh, I'll give you that. But there's just been there have been so many '70s, you know, crime dramas and things in the interim that I've run across that to me the whole thing played like a TV pilot for Garber and Patron, <laughs> which I would totally watch. By the way, it really yeah. did influence a lot of stuff. And it, I mean, how many movies have stolen from this? You know, I mean, there are certain things that yeah, the the caper going slightly wrong by the end, but just in terms of the pacing and the filming and the way they made it, I mean, it looks like a Quinn Martin production but it doesn't look like a quinn martin production before the movie was made you know all of a sudden the streets of san francisco starts to look like this you know so so it is some of it is just time yeah no don't get me wrong i i enjoyed the movie and 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 i enjoyed obviously the humor of it and the, the it clearly was very well made but i just it doesn't work as a thriller anymore i don't think mm. Hey, would you like to see something that doesn't work as a thriller now? <laughs> that sure, would be the 2009 not? version of The Taking of Pelham 123. <laughs> in which John Where? Travolta hi- uh, hijacks a train and talks on the radio to Denzel Washington? Exactly. Mm-hmm. In one that of his the, many train roles, yes. Yeah. That is that is the cast. And um, whereas the Robert Shaw character is very contained and very menacing, the, the John Travolta character is very screamy. In fact, lots of characters in this movie are very screamy. It's like it's like they watched the original movie and said, that Dick O'Neill character screaming at everyone and telling them that mm. they're stupid. More we, that. we should make every character like that. And, and it's got the... And, it's directed by Tony Scott, who makes some good things. I enjoy Crimson Tide. I enjoyed yeah. some other things that he's done. But this is this is everything bad that Tony Scott has ever done. There there's scenes where the camera is just swirling around people, and it it is clearly intended to distract people from the fact that there's there's not much story here. It's it's an aggravating, angry picture and like I, I i i think i mentioned earlier there are scenes where uh travolta and denzel washington are talking and time just stops <laughs> and, and you can feel yourself aging and you when, when are we getting back to the movie and and uh, the less said about uh the beard john travolta has grown in the film you mentioned oh they change hats to get away well at least they peel off their ridiculous mustaches john travolta <laughs> spends the entire movie with this with this 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 mustache that <laughs> the less said about it the better and he has a neck tattoo and he just strolls out of the subway like hey look at that guy carrying that giant satchel of money does he even the- take off his ridiculous hairpiece Nope. He does not. Oh. Doesn't change yeah. hats or reverse. He does his not change hats. Nope. It, it is John Travolta <laughs> from beginning to end. Oh, and, oh that's too bad. It, you know, if you're gonna, I, I, I've said this a few times now. I'll just repeat this. If you're going to pick a Denzel Washington train themed film, um, uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three remake by Tony Scott, that was his next to last film. His last film was Unstoppable, with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. So, mm. That's a that's an enjoyable movie. That that so having not seen the remake of Pelham, I I can't endorse that. I take your word for it, Phil. But I I I would go with the other uh, Tony Scott Denzel Washington train movie from uh, from 2010. It's a better movie. Yeah, I can there's go a, with that. And there's still trains. If you like trains, if you're, you're inter- interested in train related <laughs> movies, I recommend Unstoppable over uh, taking a Pelham one two three the remake. So what have we learned? <laughs> that they made they made movies in the seventies. Phil, Phil, what are you? What are your thoughts about these movies that you uh, and our that I made you them? watch? Yes. Um, 
that the people that you you think of uh, as character actors in this day and age uh, actually might have had careers as uh, leading men that are worth exploring, uh, that uh, period pieces, even if they feel dated as you watch them now, there's still value to be to be gained from them. And for God's sake, don't remake movies. <laughs> remake a movie that you can improve upon. Don't remake yeah. a movie that's already good and that people like. Yeah, regarding period pieces, anybody who thinks life sucks right now, either of these two movies <laughs> yeah. I would recommend for you. <laughs> Seriously. How did we make it through the 70s? We I dressed wish. horrible and... Uh, Too young to know better. Life was spiraling out of control. The music was awful. This is this is the... I, I enjoyed watching this as the... This is the New York that led to the New York where Times Square was just nothing but wall-to-wall pornography and slideshows of pornography. Okay, we have come to the end of the Old Movie Club for this installment. I'd like to thank my guests for joining me and watching these two movies. David Lohr, thank you for being here again. Thank you. Steve Lutz, thank you as always for being here. I have an awful feeling we're not going to get our fees from this episode. <laughs> Keep dreaming, you maniac. Oh. <laughs> what do you expect for your lousy 35 cents? And Philip Michaels, thank you for being here. Hey, even great men have to pee sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will we will say goodbye to all of you out there in incomparable podcast land. This is Jason Snell signing off. Thanks for listening. The incomparable will return in Get Carter 2. The Quinn Darden production. I like that one too.